Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Well, Mr. President, 10 o'clock, thank you so much for being with us. Great conversation with John Hayward from Breitbart in hour number one, and I expect a better conversation here in hour number two because we have one of the very best in the business talking about Peter Kersenow, who is, of course, a Cleveland-based attorney. He is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a best-selling author. He is a national speaker. He is, uh, uh, what else, a uh, writer for National Review or contributor to National Review. And, of course, he hosts the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. I think I'm going I'm to go out on a limb. 129 days into the Browns' <laughs> first game. Okay, I'm not sure about the Indians. I, I think to be on the safe side, I think Major League Baseball is going to say, you know, they're going to give it a few more months, I believe, actually. I think it won't go until June 1. I'm hopeful it's sooner than that. That may even be optimistic, but hey, I'm an optimist. So I think we're going to turn the corner. I know that we're at probably at the spike right now that they keep talking about. And I've watched a little bit of the president's press conferences, and his experts seem to say that it's going to get worse. And But everything is relative, right? I mean, we had, um, I think, 29 deaths since midnight in the United States. That's a lot. Total deaths over this pandemic of about seven weeks is 582. Every death is a tragedy. Every life is meaningful, of course. Context and perspective is in order. And 582 deaths in a nation of 330 million, especially when all kinds of diseases lodge uh, death tolls larger than that. Not, not to diminish this at all, Bob, but um, we have to you know, look at this thing, I think, with a clear eye and understand where we are. We're going to address this. We're going to get out of it. There have to be certain protocols that are going to be in place. It'll change a lot of things. Like they say about 9-11, it changes everything. It didn't change everything, but it changed a lot, and this is going to change a few things. Well, there's no question about that. It has for all of us, and it will continue to do so, which, of course, and I'm going to go a little out of order here, I guess, <clears throat> since you brought that up. 
I wanted to talk about the Democrats' uh, bill, how many people died since they dithered and, uh, and blocked that bill uh, twice now in the last uh, 48 hours. Uh, but I'm going to go out of order, and let's talk about that, um, about when we get back to business. President Trump has hinted and suggested that after the 15 days of flattening the curve, that he wants everybody to stay inside. Now, it's not a national order. It's just an encouragement. Um, statewide orders have been made in about a dozen states, including this one, to stay at home unless it's urgent for you to leave for a variety of reasons. But President Trump has said, after that, then we'll decide what way we want to go. In other words, after then, we'll start talking about whether or not the cure is doing more damage to American lives than the disease or the virus itself. And we'll talk about whether or not it's time to get this country back to work. Uh, He is being just hammered, of course. It doesn't matter what he says. You know that. If the glass is half full and he says so, they'll hammer and say it's empty and vice versa. But they are hammering him for suggesting that we might go back to work in 15 days, uh, saying that he's not taking the disease seriously enough. His job is so difficult in walking that line between dealing with the virus and dealing, you know, we have to talk about the health of the American people, both physically and economically, because they literally are intertwined with one another. You put enough people out of work, you cost them their health care plans through their employers, etc. They're going to be in just as dire of, of, of condition, uh, you know, from a health standpoint, as they are with this virus. So uh, what is your take on the president and when it will be time? When is the right time to say, okay, uh, enough of the fear, enough of the panic. Let's get people back out in public again, and let's restart American commerce. The president's between a rock and a hard place, obviously, but he's taking the right approach. In fact, I think he's a little late to it, if I were to criticize it at all. And again, this is a moving target. He is operating under the, one of the most difficult scenarios imaginable for a president. Uh, but he's right. Uh, the The thought is right, that we have to have a balance, we have to think about reopening, and he's going to get criticism invariably, especially from folks who hate him to begin with. Uh, they'll look for any opportunity to criticize him. That includes the media. Um, you know, you watch the press conferences just like the rest of us do, Bob, in your audience, and, and I do, and you can see the hostility of the press, and what they've done is assigned to medical professionals, with all due respect, I mean, these are the guys we should be listening to, but they were not elected. Fauci, um, and I can't remember, Bricks, I think is her name. Bricks, 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 yeah. Yes, I can't remember. Uh, But in any event, these two individuals, you know, look, they know what they're doing in terms of their little spheres of expertise, but no one elected them to be president of the United States. The president takes into consideration a host of factors, one of which is, who are we as Americans? We're not like other countries. Um, We do have a tradition and a history of being rugged individualists. I don't say that in any romantic fashion. I mean, this is a serious crisis we've got on our hands here, uh, because if we don't have control over it, it could be as bad as many people predict. It could possibly be as bad as as Italy. I don't think it's going to get that way. And I think a lot of folks who are very smart don't believe it will get that way. But again, the cure, clearly, we know what could happen with the cure because we've had benchmarks. 9-11 is just one benchmark. 2008 is another benchmark. This is probably going to be worse, at least in the short term, than 9-11 was economically. We've got to get people back on their feet. So look, I'm a labor and employment lawyer, <clears throat> and the labor and employment lawyers in your audience will tell you right now that they've been busier now than they've been in a long time because 
companies, clients are talking about what do we do for our employees? And contrary to what the Democrats often say, these are people, whether large employers or small employers, who have a real human interest in their employees. And they also have an interest in staying afloat, too. And unfortunately, they've got to lay off people or consider layoffs or furloughs or, you know, same thing, uh, and on and on. Um, There are so many ramifications, not just economic, to people either losing their jobs, businesses shuttering, or being on layoff that you have to take into consideration. In 2008, when I saw this, you know, you could see the domino echo effect of the economic dislocation. People who lose their jobs are more likely to become depressed. There's family breakups. There's alcoholism. There's drug abuse. There's suicides. There's significant damage done by that. That's not readily visible. You can't go to the coronometer, and there won't be a count as to how many people have died from that. It's, it's obfuscated, but it is nonetheless real. Just as importantly, there's the lost opportunities for so many people. I mean, you have different age cohorts who will lose almost irretrievably certain opportunities and benefits that they had expected to have or should have expected to have because they were right there. But now those will be either delayed, deferred, or eliminated completely. 401ks, for example, are taking a hit. Now, I believe that that's going to come back, but you can't make up the lost time. It's going to take a little bit of time to come back, and I think it depending on certain circumstances, and I will tell you this is not a partisan statement, when I watch President Trump, I thank God that he is the president right now, despite what MSNBC may say. This guy is decisive. Is he perfect? No. Is, is he uh, an oracle on these things? No. But, but imagine for a moment any other president of our lifetimes, with maybe one exception, who could have handled this with the decisiveness of this president, I remember, I mean, he says these things and he has to say them because the, pres- the, the press will not give him credit for it. The biggest single thing he did was shut down travel from China very early. And everyone called it xenophobic and racist. And as late as last week, the Oracle Joe Biden was saying that travel ban won't have any effect. Building a border wall won't have any effect. Um, yeah, walls won't stop things. the virus, he says. Right, right, exactly. You know, um, but this guy's taking some decisive action. I'm, I'm kind of meandering around here, but that's extremely important to get us back on our feet. And I do think he will probably make some decisions in the very near future, informed by the experts. But again, experts are not elected. We did not elect a doctor to be president of the United States. We elected a man who has to take into consideration multiple factors as to what's best for the overall health of the American people and our society as a whole. So a uh, long-winded response, Bob, to say that I think we're going to get out of We I know we're going to get out of this. There's going to be some pain in the interim. There's going to be some pain that will never be erased because people will, will die. There, There's you know, no getting around that. The economic pain is going to be profound, but I think we'll turn that around probably in a few months. Not completely, of course, but to the point where I think it's there will be a roaring back. There's going to be pent-up demand, for example. Uh, but I do think, again, that underlying features of the economy will remain strong, provided we take action as soon as we possibly can in, in a precise manner, in a manner that is being thwarted thus far by Democrats who don't see this thing apparently as a serious people and national problem, but rather a political opportunity.
Peter Kirsten, ours, our guest. And Pete, you said uh, you think that the American people are going to be very grateful and are very, very grateful that this man is the president during this time of crisis. I think the American people would agree. I hit this before you came on. 61%, this reported in The Hill, 61% of registered voters surveyed say they strongly or somewhat agree that President Trump is taking strong enough measures to slow or stop the, the spread of COVID-19. 39% disagree. So that's a pretty doggone strong number of Americans who approve of the job the president is doing during all of this despite hearing constant negativity about his performance from the mainstream media from the new york times which wants to call it the trump virus call it trump's chernobyl from the doctors and the experts and i use that in air quotes on msnbc and cnn and and, and chuck todd on, on uh, meet the press and all the rest despite the negativity about trump the american people are rallying around president trump and i think that's enormous we'll pick that up there on the other side of this time out peter kirsten i'll back after this on am 1420 the answer she said don't give me no lines and keep your hands to yourself yeah that's uh that's what we've been ordered to do <laughs> keep your hands to yourself keep that distance peter kirsten i'll back with us now on am 1420 the answer from a uh, responsible social distance away from me uh pretty much uh, halfway across northeast ohio all right peter kirsten out let's um Let's get into a couple of other issues there. I want to talk about China. I want to talk about China's responsibility in all of this. I just had um, a guest on from Breitbart last half hour, uh, John Hayward, who wrote that it is time to distance ourselves, socially distance ourselves from the Chinese Communist Party, to literally quarantine them from the rest of the world. It's time for the rest of the world to expel them from international organizations. It's time for the rest of the world to stop trading with them and legitimizing um, their abuse of the rest of the world, not just through this Wuhan virus that they covered up, that they conspired essentially to let loose because they refused to let the rest of the world come in and see what was going on, uh, and wouldn't even call it a pandemic until, you know, two months after uh, it, it started. Um, so he's calling for the United States and the rest of the rest of the, the world to show China that um, what they did here in creating economic and health calamities around the world, um, we're done. We're done doing business with you. Um, if you bring that up here in the United States, however, by blaming China for this, you are called a racist. You are called a bigot. You are called uh, a xenophobe, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Pete, you and one of your colleagues at the Civil Rights Commission wanted to address those allegations of those of us who call out China for the role in this. Can you tell us what you said? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you're exactly right, Bob. It seems that all the right people, quote-unquote, all the smart people, all the people on the left um, think that the rest of us rubes out here by calling attention to China's responsibility are somehow fueling racism and xenophobia. And there have been a number of outlets and a number of organizations that have chastised Americans for calling this and calling the, the uh, chastised the president also for calling this the Chinese coronavirus or the Wuhan virus or something of that nature, saying that that was intrinsically racist and xenophobic, which is uh, the dumbest thing I can imagine. But even if you consider that there may be some elements to that, that it could somehow fuel xenophobia. Um, in a time of a deadly global pandemic, that's probably the least of uh, the concerns that are in the forefront of our minds. But the Civil Rights Commission, of course, um, because it's dominated by liberals, during our meeting last week, 
uh, decided to issue a formal statement that was voted on by the liberal majority that uh, denounced the use of the term Chinese coronavirus and said that it either directly or indirectly is fueling hate crimes across the country and cited a few examples of hate crimes. Um, alleged hate crimes, uh, one of which was committed by a nine-year-old girl. And this is actually in the statement that they make, a nine-year-old girl who said, uh, you're from China, you must have the coronavirus. Uh, this is a nine-year-old girl. That's um, a hate crime. You know, it, you know, nine-year-olds say stuff like that. That's not a hate crime. That's what nine-year-olds say. Uh, and then there were, there were a few others. There was one incident where uh, somebody in New York, actually most of these come from New York, someone in New York uh, had punched somebody in the back, a Chinese or Asian American in the back. Uh, those kinds of things we obviously condemn. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But there is no evidence of an overwhelming wave of hate crimes. And if they are, we denounce them. At all times, we do. There's no doubt. I think every good American denounces that kind of stuff. But it's uh, it's interesting to see that one of the first things that the left looks for is a way to blame American Americans for racism and xenophobia. Now, understand that calling it the Chinese coronavirus is consistent with a more than 100-year history, frankly, 200-year history of naming viruses based on their places of origin. So, uh, Gail Harriet, my other conservative colleague on the commission, there's only two of us thus far, but we've got some reinforcements coming soon because of vacancies. Um, we cited the fact that apparently people have forgotten this, and this was never raised as an issue of xenophobia or racism. German measles, West Nile virus, virus Spanish flu, Rocky Mountain fever. You know, Rocky Mountain fever clearly inspired a lot of people to go out there and beat up cowboys from Wyoming and Colorado and places like that. The Asian flu, Japanese encephalitis, Rift Valley fever, Middle East respiratory syndrome, MERS, remember that? That was just a, a few years ago. Lyme disease, Venezuelan hemorrhagic fever. I think it was Bolivian hemorrhagic fever. Nobody said anything about that because back then we may have lived in saner times. Spanish flu, by the way, killed millions and millions worldwide. One of the worst pandemics we've had in what may be the worst pandemic we've had in the last 120 years. Dude, I don't even think it's saner times. If I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we've got about a minute here left. Uh, I don't think it's saner times. I think it's just Trump. I, I really do. It has never become an issue naming the place where these viruses and these pandemics or epidemics originated before because Trump wasn't president. But now you can use this to hit him. And every time he says it, blame every you know little uh, kerfuffle that may happen around the country on Donald Trump. That's the biggest difference, I think. Yeah, I think you're right that that's the biggest difference, but it's happened in the past, and the, uh, because that's the way the left is, and the biggest difference is one that I believe is going to boomerang on them. This, we're in a serious time right now. Everyone understands that. The American people, you cited a poll, understand that. People are dying. People are losing their businesses and jobs. We're concerned about our future, and the left continues to act like the left. They are unserious. One of the reasons why they have a di more difficult time, I think, promoting this is in addition to the fact that we're being faced with an almost unprecedented challenge uh, is the fact that we have previous attempts by the left to take down Trump, which has fallen flat on their face, and the media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, who've been crying wolf with a giant megaphone since Trump got elected, mm -hmm. they're no longer, to the extent they had any credibility, nobody believes them anymore. And this is just, just pure.
pure silliness on steroids. We've got more important concerns than what we're calling this particular virus. Yeah, and the idea that we're not allowed to criticize the Chinese government, the communist Chinese government, no less, for their actions here, for fear that it might offend um, Chinese or Asian Americans in the United States, would be like saying that during the Cold War, we couldn't criticize the Kremlin for fear of of offending Russians who uh, who had defected to the United States and and, and lived here as as Russian Americans, uh, no, you you call out what it is for what they have done, and in this case, the Chinese government was responsible for all of this, and it needs to be said out loud. Peter Kirsten, I'll back with us for another segment after this. Ten thirty-five. We continue on this Tuesday edition of the Bob France Authority. Thanks for being with us. Peter Kirsten now continues with us now as well. Peter, of course, is a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. He and his colleague uh, Gail Harriet uh, issuing a strong response to those who say th- uh, those of us who criticize China for the role in this uh, economic and health calamity in the United States are bigots and are xenophobes. I want to pivot now, Peter, to relief. The Republicans have been working very hard with some Democrats in the Senate on putting together a relief package that will put people uh, money in people's pockets, especially those who are losing their jobs during this time, and help small businesses stay afloat during the shutdown period and help them bounce back once we get back to work. We all know what the bill is. We all know what it's intended to do. We all know um, that it was uh, very uh, well supported, even by Democrats who helped negotiate it. Until Nancy Pelosi came back from San Francisco, and she, she and Chuck Schumer, the leaders, got together and torpedoed the entire thing now twice in the last 48 hours. And in the meantime, the stock market's conti- market continues to plunge as the uncertainty of what is going to happen uh, with the negotiations in this bill uh, continues. Now Nancy comes forward with a 1,400-page monstrosity that clearly she didn't write last night in response to the Republican-written bill. But it's a who's who or a what's what of their socialist dreams. It includes wind and solar tax credits for companies who re- receive uh, or who uh, use those uh, particular forms of energy. Reduction in airline emissions demands of any airline that takes any money in relief from the federal government. Uh, increased leverage for labor unions in a host of different ways that have nothing to do with corona. Uh, virus or with uh, relief, uh, eliminating all the U.S. Postal Service debt, same-day voter registration, $35 million grant to the Kennedy Center, uh, and on and on and on it goes. Um, it is just a travesty, and I want you to respond, Peter, to the Democrats who, quite frankly, James Clyburn spelled this out. He said, this is a golden opportunity for us to change things in this country into our vision. In other words, let's use the deaths of Americans and let's use the economic collapse of the country in order to uh, convert the country into the socialist dreams they've always had. Yeah, that was a not much. I, yeah, I can add to what you just did. That was a great summary. The fact of this 
uh, happening right now is one of the more astonishing displays of political malpractice. I really am astonished by it because I, I thought the Democrats wouldn't be this inept to trying to forward their agenda. They, they still believe, uh, not without some considerable evidence, that the media would cover for them on this thing. But unfortunately for them, even the media couldn't cover on this one. I mean, they were perplexed. MSNBC and NBC were all saying, what the heck is going on here? That shows you what a misfire this has been. But aside from the political cosmetics of this, this is reprehensible what they are attempting. If you really look at this in a more granular, fundamental fashion, what they were doing was trying to overturn a couple of elections here. They were trying to insert into this bill their provisions, first of all, that have absolutely nothing to do with the emergency situation of coronavirus deaths and loss of jobs and the devastation to the economy. They tried to insert things that they tried to get passed in the uh, before when they actually had majorities even and couldn't get passed. And they tried to insert this into the bill, effectively negating the people's will by voting for Donald Trump and a Republican Senate and so on and so forth. All the things that have been rejected Previously, you're trying to insert. I've seen this the, the language in the past when I've reviewed other bills, all the diversity language, for example, and the inclusion language. They're also trying to in, insert uh, in newly provisions of the Green New Deal. They're also trying to, as you, if you I think you've indicated, enhance union bargain, bargaining rights something they have tried a couple of times in the last 10 years. They tried to do it under Obama. Even under Obama, when they held both houses, they couldn't get it passed. But here... Pete, just to hit that one, real quick, just to hit that one, it would require, according to their bill, a labor union representative to be on every airline's board of directors, for example. It would also tell any corporation, any corporation that takes any money from this relief package or bailout bill, if you want to call it that, that they must submit to racial and uh, gender uh, diversity on their boards of directors. So in other words, uh, again, diversity has absolutely nothing to do with relief for these companies, but if you take the federal dollars, you must listen to us and meet a quota of racial and gender, and I don't even think that just means male and female, uh, diversity on your boards. That's just to throw that in there about what they're demanding with respect to uh, some of the corporate uh, demands. Exactly, and what they're doing, in addition to, as I indicated, trying to get into this bill things that had been previously rejected when they were actually in control they couldn't even get it passed and trying to effectively overturn uh the last several elections frankly and get this in is they are putting uh and i don't mean to be so flippant about this but they are putting party preferences and party opportunities over the interests of the American people in such a transparent way. I mean, there's no way they can get around this. That you're really wondering who the heck is running that ship. I mean, I'm, I've never believed that Pelosi was this political savant that a lot of people claim she is. And I've never been all that impressed by Schumer, although I do think he's probably tactically a little bit more more adept than Pelosi is. But this one is an amazing display of a political ineptitude. Um, it's going to come back to haunt them at a later point when we have more time to rationally and calmly focus on this and see what they did. Because, as I said, the media is not covering for them as much as they usually do. But unfortunately for the Democrats, I think they, I think you, you had played a clip from Ted Cruz, for example. A lot of Republicans are going to rem- remind people of this 
come fall, both in House and Senate races and the presidential race. They are going to take clips of what Pelosi and Schumer had done during a time of crisis when people, a lot of people will still be hurting at that time and show people, remind people of what the Democrats' priorities are. This isn't merely political gamesmanship, Bob. This goes to the essence of who we are as a country. This is extraordinary, and everybody, regardless of where you stand politically, given the gravity of the times, should be outraged. I, this is not going to. I see that they're talking now, and uh, the stock market has gone up about 1,200 points as a result of their just talking. But they better get their act together on all sides and help the American people. Yeah, uh, don't count on that for obvious reasons, <clears throat> Pete. I want you, you mentioned Ted Cruz. I also played Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham compared this to the Brett Kavanaugh um, um, uh, attempt to destroy him and keep that seat open. I completely concur. This is about the most disgusting, reprehensible, uh, selfish thing I think the Democrats have done since they tried to sub, uh, to uh, uh, torpedo that nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Did they learn nothing from it? Because the American people turned sharply against them for what they did without any evidence whatsoever in trying to paint Brett Kavanaugh in a certain way. Um, you would think that they would learn from that mistake. And my hope and my, I guess my question for you is, Pete, um, will the American people remember this betrayal, remember this hostage holding, which is what they're doing? People are dying every day from this disease and other people's livelihoods are shrinking every day because of this disease people's 401ks and retirements are getting smaller and smaller because of what is going on in this country now and the democrats are still not passing that relief bill do you think the people will remember this in november i think way. they're going to remember it beyond november i i and and i'm not trying to be um I don't think I'm being optimistic is not the right word, but I do think people are going to remember this. It's kind of a structural shift here. When you've lost MSNBC, you, as a Democrat, you've committed a cardinal sin of some sort. It's just one that can't be immediately remedied. This is one of those things that's going to transcend merely the November election. I do think it's going to have an effect on the November election, but people are going to have to reorder and recalibrate how they view the Democratic Party, especially in light of what you've just mentioned, Bob. What we've seen on display for the last three years is something really extraordinary. We've seen baseless accusations time after time on very high-level matters. The Kavanaugh hearing is one. Don't, don't forget Gorsuch. I mean, Gorsuch was not as big as Kavanaugh by any stretch, but they, they brought up the long knives for Gorsuch. But Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, although those were readily visible, doesn't affect people in their pocketbooks and in their lives the way this has. And then it's on top of a couple of other things that have even greater prominence. The fact that for two years they went after Trump for nothing, and Mueller came out and said, well, I got nothing, you know, they had nothing. Then they went on a ridiculous impeachment uh, charade that came out completely empty. This continued attempt to go after this president and forgetting the roles that the people of the country have assigned to them to improve their lives. They've completely abandoned that and only went for political self-interest and party interest. On the heels of that litany of political opportunism, uh, opportunism I think this 
is something that could be fatal to a lot of Democrats, and it's going to harm the Democratic Party and its reputation, if it can be harmed, uh, for some time to come. Yeah, there's still going to be a viable party. They're still going to be formidable. But this is one of those turning points, I, I think. I think that it's going to be a fundamental restructuring. All those people, the blue-collar folks who said the Democrats had abandoned us and voted for Trump, there's going to be a larger cohort of those people now who view what the Democrats have done at a time of need and said, what the heck are you guys doing? Why would you vote for a party that puts this kind of political shenanigans above the interest of the country? Pete, I want to read you a tweet, the latest tweet from the president. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the president is uh, very, very excited about the prospect of getting this country back to work. He had already hinted about it. You and I talked about it in our first segment. But he has kind of come back stronger now, tweeting just uh, 30 minutes ago. Our people want to return to work. They will practice social distancing and all else. And seniors will be watched over protectively and lovingly. We can do two things together. The Capital letters now. The cure cannot be worse by far than the problem. Congress, back to capital letters, must act now. And we will come back strong. It sounds like he is really going to push Against the advice of the, his lead uh, doctor on the uh, coronavirus response team, headed up by, by Vice President Pence, Dr. Fauci, who's kind of become the go-to guy for all of this, um, he's not in agreement, as we know. He has uh, kind of c- spoken uh, counter to what the president has said at various points in these press briefings that we've seen every day. So not every medical professional is going to agree that we should head back to work in a couple of weeks or less than a couple of weeks, but the president sounds like he's getting more and more resolute. What say you? I, I think that's the right approach. I didn't vote for Fauci. Did you? I didn't vote for him. <laughs> I've I never heard of him, him until this thing. Yeah, I'd listened. I'd heard of him before, but I didn't vote for her, him or Burks. I do think you listen to their counsel because they're experts, but it's only right. one element that a president who's got to be concerned about the interests, overall interests of 330 million people and the Constitution. By the way, uh, our mutual friend, um, uh, Tom, Tom Z, I call him because I can't pronounce his last name. Zostowski has been yeah. hammering on this for quite some time inappropriately. We're Americans. We have certain procedures that we follow. We've got a constitution, and that has served us well. These emergency powers that are being invoked by certain uh, politicians might be appropriate, and I'm not going to necessarily criticize them. I've got my own view on these things, but okay, I'll let everybody have their own uh, approach as to how they view these things. But the President of the United States was elected by the people, not Fauci, not Burks. He has to consider what they've got to say, but at the same time, he's got other advisors on a whole host of other issues. He has, he's going to face the risk, obviously, of appearing callous and uh you know people are dying out there and you know he is not locking down everything in the world and for the folks in the media who hate him they're just going to use this as another issue to bludgeon him with but most people get it uh you you know i'm downtown there's nobody out here nobody whatsoever i've never seen this like this before in my entire life and that is going to have a giant ripple effect for some time to come the president understands that he's going to get us back to work it's important peter kersenow giving us uh analysis from all angles of this uh ongoing chinese coronavirus this wuhan coronavirus ooh, xenophobia uh peter great stuff thank you my friend for the uh wonderful analysis we'll talk to you again soon stay well bob you too sir 10.50 now, final uh, break coming up, final segment following that. Probably time for a call, maybe two, 
We have not taken calls today. We've had two wonderful guests for the last uh, hour and uh, 15 minutes and uh, monologuing prior. So if you want to get in, let's do it. 216-901-0945 right after this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. I mean, people are losing their jobs. They're losing their savings. They're losing their 401k. We, we think we know how to get the economy back on its feet over the next 60 to 90 days until we can get control of the virus. And uh, some of my colleagues, they're acting like a-holes. I'm sorry, I'm not saying they mean to, but nonetheless, they're killing it. I'll say it. Uh, Senator Kennedy, I'll say it. They do mean to. They're acting like a-holes because, quite frankly, they're not acting. You don't have to act when that's what you are to your core. Chuck Schumer, Jim Clyburn, Nancy Pelosi, yes, they're a-holes. And they are killing it intentionally. And they are throwing special interests... Green New Deal trash, socialist trash, into a bill that's supposed to be straight relief for the American people. Why? Because they're a-holes. You can say it, Senator Kennedy. It's okay. They do mean it. It is intentional. Say it out loud. We, We think we know how to get the economy back on its feet over the next 60 to 90 days until we can get control of the virus. And uh, some of my colleagues, they're acting like a-holes. Yeah, and they don't have to act. They don't need to go to uh, Juilliard to, to, to learn that. They've, they're pretty good at it, naturally. Let's go to phones. Joe in West Park. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Joe, go ahead. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Good, sir. Uh, so I'm pretty furious about all this stuff, and I decided to take some action. So I called Senators Portman. Senator Sherrod Brown and Marcy Kaptur from the uh, House today yeah. to demand that a bill, a relief bill, get passed today, and also that there be a change in leadership in both chambers, uh, the House and Senate, because uh, they need to be reminded they work for us, and they're insulated, and we aren't. You know, us peasants are down here scared, trying to figure out what we're going to do, and they don't have to worry about that. So I'm just, I called in to encourage everybody they need to call in as well and take action and demand demand some action from our uh, Well, I totally agree, my friend. Thank you for the call, Joe. I totally agree. Call your particular representative, call your senators, call everybody you have to and demand. They're not going to uh, you know, they're not going to submit to your demand to change leadership, but absolutely to pass this bill as written by the Republicans with Democrat input rather than Nancy Pelosi's socialist Green New Deal light. Do not even think about that, but make sure that they pass this. Thank you for the call, Joe. Sandy, Middleburg Heights next. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Uh, I wanted to talk, Bob, about something that Amy, Dr. Amy Acton said yesterday, just right. in passing. She used the phrase uh, herd immunity. I believe that's what the Trump administration is trying to put forth now with getting people back out into the community. What it is is you have a population of people who are not who don't have immunity to a disease, the U.S., for instance. Over time, that population gets infected. Some of the people 
don't even know that a lot of the people don't know they had it. They're immune once they're over it. Some of the population gets it. They have mild to moderate symptoms. They're immune they're o- when they're over it. About 95% so of the population, FYI, yeah, have mild oh, symptoms. Yes. That's so, worldwide population, not just in the United States. That's worldwide, including in countries that have very, very poor medical uh, care, health care uh, uh, um, facilities. Right. So you continue to contain the at-risk people, you keep them separated, and you release the people who have the disease immunity back out into the workplace, and they can start performing their jobs again. That's herd immunity, and that's what Dr. Amy Acton mentioned, and I think that's what Trump's doing now, and I think it's wonderful. <laughs> well, I, I don't, and thank you for the call, Sandy. I, you know, they've, they've been trying this or talking about this and, and doing a modified version of this, if you want, if you will, rather, um, in, uh, in, in the U.K., um, where they were taking certain segments of the population or certain geographical segments or what have you, and they were um, uh, allowing people to become infected with the uh, with the uh, idea that, as you said, they will build up an immunity. But they stopped that, and now the UK, including London, including England in particular, uh, they have indeed ordered shelter in home, uh, shelter in place, and all the other things that are going on here. So I don't think that's necessarily the best idea, and I doubt that's what Trump is thinking of right now. He's just trying to thread the needle here, which is very tough to do. All right, that's all the time we've got. Thanks for being a part of the show. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence.